0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the Reset Podcast. I'm your host, Laura Mignot, CEO of the experience agency D Flash. Each week on the show, I bring in a different leader from business who's doing game-changing work. And this week's episode is really no different. I'm super excited to have Justin Thomas Copeland, president of Rap New York and Rap Well. Uh, who will be here talking about his crazy journey from around the world, how he's built up an incredible background, and is taking this incredible story agency to new heights. Take a listen. Hi, Justin. Hi, how are you? Uh, I feel like you're English. (laughs) (laughs) I am. Funny, me too. But you have the accent I used to have when I was a wee child, and you've kept it, good for you. Um, uh, it's always great to have uh, a fellow Londoner on the show uh, So every time I start off a show I ask the same question And I'm always excited about the answers And I feel mm-hmm. it's like yours is going to be hilarious <laughs> Justin, what was your first job?
1: Excellent. Well, first of all I want to thank you for this opportunity um, And I'm super excited to be here So my first job was working in a shoe shop in North London uh, I was 15 years old And I was selling shoes as a supervisor um, on Saturdays. So it was a Saturday-only job um, because of my age. Of course. That was my first job. And it really kicked off my problem, which is an addiction to shoes.
0: Uh, Um, So we will be taking a picture of Justin's incredible shoes. And you literally are the epitome of your first job. Because you have on these gorgeous camel and, I want to say, green paisley boots that are just spectacular. So I'm like, this is, it, it's, this is how I started. So it started with shoes. started with shoes.
1: It started with shoes. It, it also started, you know, I was selling. So I had to work out how to understand what people needed and then look at how I could get them to well, obviously satisfy that need, but get them to think about other things. So come in for one pair, maybe leave with two or three um, and get some polish and some other accessories. So that was, that was always my thing, like how loaded, could I let people leave the shop in terms of bags they were carrying.
0: Because you had to get commission on this. Absolutely. <laughs> that was the model. The business
1: model was clear.
0: So yeah, nothing has really changed. Nothing's changed. Uh, so uh, how was living in north of London?
1: London was great. I, I, so I grew up in South London, um, and I lived in a place called Battersea, which is next to Chelsea. Um, but we discussed it. Um, we were like neighbours. Right? Yeah, <laughs> okay, right. um, so I was in South London. Um, I grew up in a, uh, what we called a council estate, but public housing. Um, had a great childhood out and about with brothers, cousins, very community-driven, community-based. Um, and then moved to North London when I was 11, um, but kept going to school in South London. So I was a two-hour commute um, of course. each way. Um, but yeah, it was it was great. Growing up was great. It was... Um, really about different nationalities, cultures, energies coming together. Um, So we grew up um, in a very diverse um, and just an open environment. Um, It was in the 70s, so there was a lot of nationalistic uh, energy in the air as well. So I wouldn't want to sort of hide that. Those who lived in London will know there was a national front and things like that um, that we were aware of. But to be honest, it never really got in the way of how we lived, friends we made, um, and just kind of the fun we had as children. Um, so growing up was really good. It was really good for me.
0: So how do you get from North London to sitting here with fabulous shoes <laughs> as the president of one of the biggest agencies in the country?
1: So here's what happened. Um, first of all, my, so my, my, my mother worked in advertising for about 35, 40 years. So whereas my dad is an entrepreneur and has had his own business for years, my mum was in the ad world. Um, I was first exposed to the ad world when I was probably about, I want to say, 12. After school, I'd go to my mum's office in the centre of London, um, and I would just be taken aback by whether they were looking at copy, uh, they were looking at creative. Uh, the creative department would sometimes uh, make our birthday cards, so there'd be caricatures of ourselves, so I'd understand, you know, the art and how art would come to life, and funny headlines. Um, so I was always, I was, I was always intrigued by advertising, But it was never actually something I wanted to do. Um, so I was heavy into um, coding when I was young. I used to be part of coding clubs. I used to build computer games. I used to build databases. I built my first database when I was about 14. Um, I did study computer science, went to, do, to university, got a uh, Bachelor of Science in computer science. So it was really not something that I focused on. I, I knew of it. I knew it existed, but I didn't really understand it. Um, But when I got to the end of studies, I essentially had one of those moments where I looked at what I was studying and I said, can I do this for the rest of my life? Can I just write, compile codes and build systems? And it just wasn't going to happen to me. So it it just wasn't enough. And so that was when I opened my mind to what else could I be doing. And because of my data background, um, one of my brothers, um, I'm the youngest of three, he said to me... um, There's a whole industry called database marketing. This is like 1993, 94, um, And what you do, uh, you could kind of do a little bit of what I do, because he's a brand strategist at the time, but you can also stay close to what you love, the tech side. So I literally looked at agencies, found the top five, and sent my CVs, got an interview, and started my career um, working at Wonderman uh, in 1995. And so that's how I started in the agency journey.
0: Wow. And so you're like, I'm just going to like pick database. <laughs> <Literally, it laughs> okay. Is. So so 1995 yeah. is a totally different world from now. Completely. And Completely. so what, what, what kept you going? What kept yeah. you just making this like, this is the forward path I want yeah. to be on.
1: Well, the first thing I said to myself was, I don't really understand this industry enough. So every two years, I'm going to change jobs. For whatever reason, I just decided like, don't get comfortable, learn as much as you can, as quick as you can, and look for the other opportunity, the next opportunity. So if you look at my CV, if you, if you go on my LinkedIn, you'll see the first 10 years, I literally moved every two years, right? <laughs> that was like a deliberate strategy, because I wanted to work in different places, I wanted to see what was out there, because I didn't know enough, and um, it was all new to me, and I also wanted to kind of start to, in my mind, see what was possible, because I didn't really know what was possible um and so for me it was kind of allowing myself that freedom to move around and see what was out there and see what sort of stuck with me um and I never really looked back I just I never put any limits on that I didn't think that that was a risque strategy by looking for something new I didn't really think about the politics of you know or the CV kind of uh, reflection or any of those things I was free spirited because it was a new world and I treated it as an adventure and a journey and I don't think I've ever stopped doing that to be honest
0: Wow, and so for you, how does that journey? How does that journey get you to be standing here in New York? Because obviously you're in the UK and mm. you've been all around the world. But. Yeah.
1: So um, my dad is he runs his own company and he's very global in how he does that. He works around the world. I was always, and my mum is a real avid traveller. She lives in Jamaica now, but she travels the world. Um, you know, when she can, which is pretty much three months a year. She's like <laughs> travelling. So we've, travel, travel is in our blood, um, and it's something I always wanted to do. I always love languages as well, um, so they kind of went hand in hand. So when I started my career and I was looking every two years at what's next, I would always look for things that had an international strand to it. So whether that was an agency being a global agency network rather than a small local UK network, I went for global and international. And I also went for clients that were global clients, if I could get my, sort of, my hands on them. So, it meant that I would be in agencies that were, had a network, and then I would try and get roles in the network, um, or, and or they were working with clients that were global in scale, so that would offer through projects or through work, because at that time I am much more junior, a view of how that could scale to other countries. So, specifically, my first job I worked on Ford as the client, and I worked on their loyalty program. And that then scaled to several countries. And because I was working in the heartland, which is the UK, of where that program was de- delivered and developed, I was then a voice of helping that go to other companies, uh, countries in Europe. Um, and then I sort of put my hand up to, this is in 1996, to be part of a team that pitched for the Ford internet business, and we won that. And suddenly I was building their first website, <laughs> Ford.co.uk in 19- 1996. 1996. So I was part of that team. And we built the UK website, Ford.co.uk, and then that was rolled out to eight European markets. And I was literally put on a plane with the website loaded in the cash memory, because in those days, there's no Wi-Fi, there's no dial-up. Oh my god! And I went around Europe to the local Ford um, national sales companies, to the marketing teams, and sold in the website. Um, so that was my first real kind of being on a plane on my own, being accountable, um, and working across markets. So, so it's sort of things like that that just um, really helped me get to this point today. And I, I'll also add that when I was studying at university, I did an internship and I did it for the European Commission. So again, whereas people were looking for local sort of UK, big UK companies, I looked for European or global and I managed to find an internship in the European Commission. So I, was, I moved to Belgium um, from the UK for a year as an intern. And I think it was just those... Like building blocks that I never look back so I did the forward thing I then moved agency in my two year cycle, went to another agency worked on Microsoft and that again afforded me international opportunities to go from the UK to Europe to Middle East with Microsoft and some of the programs we were developing and I've, it's just never stopped um, so I worked for you know WPP, then I moved to Havas agencies, I actually spent some time at an Omnicom agency in the early 2000s And then I was fortunate enough to land a CEO position um, at an agency in Brussels. I moved my family back to Brussels. And again, that was a global network, WPP. And I worked and was given opportunity to build that client around the globe. Um, So I did that. Um, The client at the time was Microsoft. And then I moved to another client, which was Nokia. So I was in Scandinavia. So it just never stopped. Um, And then I moved to RAP in 2015. And was doing a global chief client officer role around the world. And at one point I said, you know, we could really strengthen some of our key offices. Because I was the one that had been in Europe, I was coming to the U.S. very often. I opened RAP's um, Asia Pacific office in Singapore. So I was on assignment there. And I said, you know what, I think New York needs kind of another look. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's kind of specifically, because I had the global experience and I've worked and run agencies in, I think, six countries, um, there was no reason for me not to put my hand up because I knew there's a job to be done, and I quite fancied it, so here I am. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Justin, you're amazing. Um, so, because here's the thing. Um, you don't right. exist in our industry. Like, right. it's very Absolutely. rare to see you, Absolutely. and it's glorious right. to see you. Thank you. Um, because... You know you just explain the path that usually most white guys do, right. where it 's like, "Oh yeah, i 'm going to just do this i right. 'm going to think global from the very beginning, right. and when I has an opportunity to put my hand up i 'm going to put my hand up, yep. and but you 're a black guy, right. and they keep and we keep hearing that doesn 't happen, right, right. but you were like, no Not absolutely and along the way, i 'm sure people were like, "Hey, wait, you 're yep. the dude." How's that been for you? Because, I mean, what, you know, we were talking about this earlier about, like, what it means to be the only one and, like, but yeah. also sort of knowing from the beginning you're going to be, so so what? Mm. And so how have you kind of ta- tackled that when you've been in business yeah. and ridden it to excellent success?
1: You know, um, I think, first of all, is, it's the upbringing that I've had, right? Um, I was raised in a very open community, different nationalities. Um, yes, there was certain energies that we just didn't really pay any mind to um, in society at that time, you know, we were sort of first generation children coming in, you know, growing up in the UK, right? My parents came over from Jamaica and the Caribbean when they were sort of 12, 13. Um, but we were told that just get on with it. Like, you're going to have to work harder. Um, you're going to have to be smart. You're going to have to have substance. Um, but if you can deliver on those basics now, just get on with it, make no excuses. And I had a family, and I think many of my peers had families, whether they were Indian, Irish, or uh, West Indian, where we wouldn't make excuses. We would just push on and be pretty fearless about it um, and not overthink things, like just go for it. So I think I think for me, being the only one was part of my preparation in life. I saw that you know, when I was playing at school, when I'd be in the football team, I was the captain, I was a rare black. Boy, captain of their football team. Which position um, did you play? Um, I was a midfielder, so soccer or football. Um, and then I moved to sort of striker. Um, I was like striker. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I would, you know, I would always be used to be the only one I, at school plays. Um, I, you know, I, I like talking. Um, no. I was the yeah, I was the narrator. So they wouldn't let me sort of act apart. They would let me be the person that would sort of narrate the whole thing. And and I would do that without sort of um, like, I'd learn my lines and like the challenge. And I think just being in positions where it was a little bit like unexpected was part of my upbringing. So coming into business, um, I never really over focused on it because I was so used to it. And I just, and I still take it as part of the deal. Like, I'm going to go into a board meeting. Um, I'm probably going to be the only one right that's fine I'm so used to it what I don't allow myself to do is be conditioned and blind to it I think there's a difference of being used to it to being blind to it or it just becomes autopilot so I'm always very conscious and I always try and give myself mentally a higher purpose that I've just got to show up right Um, again back to my upbringing like you've, you've got to if you get the fundamentals and you have the fundamentals then go for it and don't make excuses so, I always want to show up. I don't want to hide behind excuses. I don't want to play the card of being the only one. I want to contribute. Um, and I want to show that I've got something to give the group. I think that's really important. Um, and, you know, there, are, there have been moments in my career. You know, I've worked in you know, Finland and the Nordics. I've worked, obviously, I've run a, a, an agency as well in, in Belgium and Benelux. In Paris, I ran an agency. Um, in London, you know, in Russia. Russia was absolutely the only one. Like I, <laughs> I don't know that the, my, my, the company in Russia knew that black people were in the agency one, to be perfectly honest. Um, oh,
0: weird.
1: You know, and How long not, were you in like,
0: Russia before you were like, I was only I
1: was uh, there for a year, and I was turning around the company, so I was there on assignment. Um, but it was, you know, absolutely the only one. Um, and, and it just doesn't faze me. I was client side for a couple of years working um, at Novartis in, in Switzerland, um, and, you know, you know, in societies where there aren't many black people, I mean, there are black people there, so I don't want to give the wrong impression, but it's still quite novel, you know, it's still quite novel. So you just have to always want to show up, you want to, you want to really be um, representative of what, you know, you can do and what your people can do, but you don't want to obsess about it. You really don't want to obsess about it because then it becomes a mind game. And actually, I'd rather just show out, prove out, um, and contribute to the group, and help the group kind of just get to a new dynamic, with me as part of it, you know?
0: Yeah, it becomes part. It, you bec- it becomes autopilot. because I was saying, we, mm-hmm. we're making the jokes. That we're probably cousins because <laughs> you're from Batac and I'm from Surrey. Right, right. So, yeah. so we're all Southeast. Yeah. Um, and you've got Jamaican parents. I've got Jamaican parents. Right. So again, small island. Right. You kind of look like my cousins. Right. So they're probably there. But I think the upbringing is really important. Mm-hmm. That and it's just different. Mm-hmm. It's not that one thing's better than the other. Absolutely. It's just that it's just different. Mm-hmm. And when mm-hmm. you when you are raised. And it's like, okay, so you're going to be the only one. And so what? Yeah, absolutely.
1: Like, but, but, you know, it's. I'll tell you something. I will say that in the early years of my career, when I would be in those meetings and I would, you know, you play it in your mind a lot. Like, should I ask that question? Should I say that thing? Um, and then you add in you're the only one and you're kind of like, you can mentally feel yourself retreated. And there were times, many, many times, when I would be like, you know what, I'm just going to say it. Like, and, and I'll be nervous and I'll feel nauseous. you know, i would be like feeling nausea in my stomach and really questioning whether I should. But eight times out of ten, I would just say it. Um, because I just felt, you know what, I've got nothing to lose. The worst thing that can happen is you get fired, right? And you know what, the sky's still going to be blue, the sun will still shine, you know, you'll find another part of your journey. So when, once I got the fear factor out, I think it became a lot easier but I do know in like mentoring a lot of young people that's a real thing of you know being the only one and it playing in your mind and you know you're not really wanting to show out because you're not feeling that comfortable but you got to break through that
0: it's 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 really like you've got to be yourself mm. and I think what I similarly when mentoring younger folks is just like listen you have something to give mm-hmm. and you wouldn't be you wouldn't be in a meeting unless they wanted your opinion mm-hmm. and you know obviously think about what you want to say yeah, but cool. say it mm-hmm. and not be afraid mm-hmm. and i think you know that's the thing that's helped in, in my career is that like i've been in those rooms mm-hmm. and have i been right every single time yeah. no right. but i think you know, taking the chance to be like, actually, no, I'm not just here for being the window dressing. Right. I'm actually here because I, I I have a I have a point of view. Is what you've kind of got to use in order yeah. to push this push this forward. Mm. So you've been in the U.S. a few years. Yeah. Like, out of all the places that you live, yeah. what's different about New York?
1: New York is <laughs> it's the thousands of mini New Yorks that are in this city. I never <laughs> understood that. All right, like east to west. Um, downtown, uptown, midtown—you uh, go four blocks to, you know, to the left and to the right. You're in a different place, different energy, different feel. Um, you know, London has a bit of that. I've ju- I think New York is next level. So the thing that surprised me is there are so many different feels and energies in this city, um, and there's so much then to do and get involved in that you just got to be careful to get involved in the right things, and also. Time and days can go by and you may not have made the best use of your time. Like so, so you just gotta be really like focused. Like on the weekend when I first got here and still to this day, um, very often I'll make like a list of how I'm gonna spend my time, like things I wanna do. Cause I can just walk out of the apartment and something will sway me. Or I'll talk to someone in the shop, and he'll say, you know, something's going on over there, or there'll be a fair that I had no idea was happening, and that'll be my whole afternoon gone. So it's it's, it's like New York, it runs deep um, in terms of just what you can do and the levels of different energies that are in the city.
0: Yeah, you know, I was, you know, it's funny, like I say that there were a million stories in every street corner. And I always relate back to this kind of... And even as someone who grew up in New York, I grew right. up on Long Island, which right. is the 51st state. Right. Right. <laughs> I went to school at NYU, yeah. in a totally different place. Yeah. Um, I, w- I went to a Broadway show a couple of years ago, and it was, it was a Friday night. Right. Um, a good friend of mine's husband couldn't go, and right. so she's like, Hey, you want to come? I'm like, All right, sure. Didn't know what the show was about, right. Right. but I was like, eh, It's a theater, yeah. I don't really know it often. Let me go. We go, yeah. we go yeah. and it's like packed. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a thousand or so people who are in this audience. Mm-hmm. And I it's, concent- it's concentric circles this kind of right, stage, right. so you're sort of in they're in you're the in production, that, right. and so that's cool. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. awesome, and I at one point being intermission I look around mm-hmm. and right. I see not only this crazy diversity, but I'm also like, how did you all get here? Right. Like, right. Right. what is it about this moment on this Friday mm-hmm. on a sun- on a, in, in this summer yeah. that brought you? You, you yeah. and you, right. to be sitting yes. at this place yeah. in Times Square. Yeah. And that's on every corner because how many yeah. other theaters are like that? Like, how many other people are just there because they're a tourist or it's a right. thing? Right. And we all have these unique stories and yeah. we all do a million and one different things. Yeah. And there is really nowhere else in the world where right. you get that. Where like you literally could be anybody right. sitting yeah. next to you Absolutely. and have this incredible story. And right. that's. That's, what the, that's what's so cool and interesting about New York. Like, right. You literally never know. Yeah,
1: yeah you never know. It's <laughs> unbelievable. And it's only since I've been here that I've recognized and realized how deep it runs. I've been coming here for years for business. But, you know, you're in, you're in a hotel, you go to the meetings, you go home. Um, living here has just been different, has opened up a whole sort of view on just the depth of the city. It's a great place.
0: How Have you been to the Caribbean Day Parade?
1: Uh, yeah, but I went so Labor Day I, I went there <laughs> years ago Because I have friends that moved here I want to say like 25 years ago um, One really close friend and, and so I came for Labor Day And then I went to the carnival here The, the, the parade, the flag day And yeah, unbelievable like, Unbelievable never gone.
0: <laughs> I'm one of those British Jamaicans that will never go
1: <laughs> I, I went, I went and, we, and 20 years ago we joined it um We were in Crown Heights, so it was like, "Whoa, this is deep. This is different from Notting Hill Carnival. This is a whole different level." It's
0: a whole other level. Yeah, it's, it's like level. I can watch it on TV. Yeah. <laughs> I feel that. I feel that. It, it is a lot. It's a lot. It's it's a lot. A lot. And also, oh, I feel yeah. like if you if I do go, then I'll be I'll be forced to whine and wave, right, right, and then right, all, right. all of a sudden I'll be in feathers. <laughs> it'll just be a thing, and I'm just like, no it won't be a thing um, yeah. but it's but I, I think it's It's also really interesting because like from just like you get to see a piece of your culture in a way right. that you don't see anywhere right. else like yeah. you know as much as I love the homeland it's yeah. just it's just different, it different. It's um, different. And, the, and there's so many of us who are here where it's yeah. like like wait a minute okay your parents are yeah. Jamaican too and you're Jamaican right. oh yeah. okay so you all have the same thing absolutely, absolutely. Um, so now that you're a rap yeah. what's sort of the deal with you with rap like what's uh, what's been your
1: mandate and what are you doing? Yeah, so um, yeah, I was talking to someone actually this morning uh, from Google, um, and uh, actually our head of strategy. So I was brought here to turn the office around and uh, really bring it, not so much to where it needed to be, but elevated to go beyond that, right? So everyone now is talking data, analytics, creativity. Um, simply put, it's what Rapid have been doing for years. But also when we looked at our New York office and I looked at the office with um, Marco, our global CEO, and we knew that we could do more, right? So my mandate was to go in, rebuild the team, the leadership, um, rebuild our voice in the market, um, help us to be active and competitive in the market again, um, connect much deeper into Omnicom, so networks, again, back to my own network kind of DNA, bring some of that to the network, uh, and stand up the New York office as the global flagship office, please. Like, can, can, we, can, can we do that? Can, <laughs> can we do that? Yeah, can we do that? So, um, so that was kind of the mandate was, and, you know, you've got to do that for us. Help us to do that. Um, and I'm a very client-focused uh, and team-focused person. So, you know, build the right team and go to clients and be with clients. I mean, I'm consistently, and I would say almost... Um, You know, emphatically with clients. I want to know what clients are, what they're doing, what they're thinking, and bring that to the office um, and help us to elevate what we do. You know, everyone's talking about you know those areas I mentioned: data, you know, uh, CRM, analytics, etc. But elevate it. So what I didn't want to do was to build an agency that was just a great CRM agency because I just feel that's I don't know what that means, right? I wanted to build an agency that was business-minded, creativity-driven and people-focused, right? So connecting and understanding audiences and people, bringing creativity to that, and help brands connect and drive new value. But have an elevation of that to a business audience. So we had to get into the C-suite with clients, be much more senior partners than just execution partners. And I I inherited an agency that were heavy on the execution and not really punching and pushing enough as an office to be in sort of at the C-suite. So we've had to change and pivot um in talent um you know really look after our people elevate our people and also go on journeys with our clients um which is you know sometimes we've had some false starts because clients know you as one thing Mm -hmm. and then suddenly you want to be something else so my role has been to do all of those things and ultimately plant the flag in the ground to say now we're back to being the global flagship office.
0: Awesome, and what and, and how do you how does one do that? Like, what's the thing that you walk in like? Hi, I'm Justin.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so you're the only one looking at a sea of people that are looking at you and say, right, where are we going? Um, you have got to give them a vision. You have got to give them confidence. Um, you've also got to show them the they can be the masters of their part of the journey. So you've got to give them room to do their thing. Um, You've also got to be brave with clients because you're going to have to go back to clients who think they know you, but you don't really know us. Let's have a different conversation. So you've got to be a good conversation starter or pivot the conversation. Um, and you've got to have energy to do all these things. You've got to be resilient. You, we've been rejected. We've lost pitches. We've been told by incumbent clients, no, we won't give you that brief because we just don't think that's what you do. Um, and we've had to go again and again. One client, it took us eighteen months, nearly two years, actually, to get um, into their small business portfolio of products because they just thought we were consumer only, um, and we just wouldn't stop. Um, so you have to show up differently, and you've got to have energy and be creative in how you do that. Um, and, and you know, for us as an agency, it's taken people because I can't do it all myself. So building a team, um, a leadership team of very seasoned and, and Experienced people to help share that load and be accountable um, back to the business. So it's been a lot of, you know, scrummaging, sprints, go again, rejection, let's learn from it, let's go again, success, okay, let's almost productize that, how do we do that again and repeat that? It's all of those little things, common sense, rules heavy. (laughs) <laughs>
0: when you're to turn a company. like common sense
1: you know you can read all the books you, want. you can think about all the techniques and they're all great and we've all read the books and think about these techniques but you just have to have a common sense way of approaching clients and trying to get briefs and thinking and talking about your work and being really I think humble to learn as you go on that journey awesome
0: so what would you tell 25 year old Justin?
1: Uh, maybe one or two things. first thing I 'll tell them is I think you said it before, just be yourself like don't play up to the image, the cliches, the stereotypes. be yourself, um, and then believe in yourself because I think they are two different things you 've got to really believe in yourself you 've got to really believe in who you are you 've got to really take from where you 're from, and you 've got to embrace that you are' the only one you 're a bit different. but clients and also your teams, they like it different. They want you to sound different. I mean, I bring a different energy. Um, and I think I'll tell my 25-year-old self to really invest in those things even more. It took me a few years to really feel like I could. Right. Um, many times I did. I made moves in my career. I moved agencies. And I wasn't fully sure. And, I, you know, like you'd, I'd be really nervous and in my head. But I would force myself. I, I would tell myself to be more at ease with those decisions because... People that are waiting for you when you walk through the door on day one or meeting one, they actually are interested in what you've got to say. They actually are intrigued by the fact that you're the only one. Because um, how did it, you get here? Right. Like, and they want to understand more of your story. And I would say invest in that and bring that to the fore more. Um, because maybe, you know, my 25-year-old self, I was kind of caught between, you know, playing the game, if you will, and being me. And kind of going between the 2 mm-hmm. I would say just be yourself. Be you and believe in yourself. Awesome.
0: All right. So now so you've been here two or three years. Yeah. You, are, you in, are you now a New Yorker?
1: You know what? I don't know <laughs> that I can give myself that title. If anyone wants to bestow that on me, I'll gladly accept it. Um, but I do love, I, I love the city. I love how business works here. I love the pace of it. Um, I also love the fact that look, I've been given an opportunity to be here, right? So that says something. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact that there is opportunity And, you know, relative to other markets I've worked in, and I've worked in a fair few, um, there is real opportunity here. Like, that's the one thing that, you know, I would say to anyone listening who's from, you know, maybe a minority background or are different, um, this is a place where you can kind of paint the canvas. And I would say, just start painting. You know, don't ask for permission, just start doing it. Um, And that's a thing that I've really respected in New York, that there are a lot of people doing great things. Um, and there's opportunity, so go for it
0: awesome so question I always ask yep. um, uh, at the end is. Where do you go to escape and get away? Yeah. So that could be somewhere you just escape and go for a drink. Yeah. Or, or where do you... Where, what's your vacation spot? But what's yes. the thing... Because, you know, the thing that I find that's really important now, especially in business, mm. is this idea of sort of self-care. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not burning yourself out on mm-hmm. um, the candle on both ends, but mm-hmm. finding that, those times where you can just, like, have some just-in time. Yeah. So for you, what's that?
1: A couple of things. Family. I'm married. Three children. Family time is critical for my just my energy. Um, but when it's really just just in just in time, um, I love to read. I love to train. I work out. I don't work out anywhere near as much as I should. But on the really? weekends, <laughs> on the weekends, I give myself at least one or two workouts. Um, every morning I get up without fail. I sort of take five minutes. I stretch. I do a little bit of kind of um, cardio. Um, I do my press ups but when I'm doing things like that I'm thinking about the day I'm going to have and I think that really helps me it just means I have a moment even if it's only 5 minutes but I have a moment where it's everyday I can just be a bit more mindful um, and I don't want to come across like I'm some spiritual zen guy. it's like just real practical um, me time and then music um, I'm big on music I listen to a lot of music um, I used to run a, a record label in a studio in another life I'm um, not surprised. I, 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 <laughs> of course, I, I, but I love music. You know, I love, I love what music does. Just that rhythms and what it says to your spirit, and just you know, sometimes, oftentimes, going beyond the lyrics into how the music sounds and how it makes you feel. So, if I've got a certain type of meeting, I'll listen to a certain type of music. Uh-huh. Um, so I do things like that, which is great me time, um, and they just help me to kind of make sure that I don't burn out. And, you know, I don't go too deep, and I come up for air. So those are things I do.
0: Awesome. Well, Justin, it's been a delight having you on the show. Um, we're going to put the name of the company that has his incredible shoes <laughs> uh, on on the show notes. But it's, like I said, I was so thrilled when I saw that you were going to come on the show because I it's an honor to have someone like you on there because mm-hmm. it's it's rare to see us Right. and when I get to see you just like yeah. and this is what I do right. <laughs> it's so delightful so thank you so very thank much thank you as well thank you for your great work alright and that's our show